Hey, thanks for tuning in to High on Horror. I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to all the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. Today we're reviewing the serial killer curse movie Baby Blue, now streaming on Tubi. We cannot wait to talk about this one. And uh, with us today we have the director, Adam Mason, who's going to spill his guts to us in an exclusive interview. All that and more today on High on Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. Alright, now it's time for Strain Wreck, the segment of our show that we love to start off our show with, where we discuss what strain of cannabis we're getting wrecked on. John, what do we got today, man? So, this week, uh, I went with, went with some more Grow West. You know, gotta hit up those Maryland dispensaries while yeah. they're open. Support, support local. Uh, yeah. I, and we got Hindu Mints. I cannot find any information about this. When you were here, I went on their website, I yeah. went on Leafly. Uh, the only thing I have was the QR code, so I can tell you that uh, this was grown on the mean streets of Westminster, Maryland. <laughs> the mean uh, streets. I don't even think it was uh, on the streets. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we got some Hindu mints, unfortunately. Uh, I guess we'll find out the effects. We'll we'll be the fucking pioneers of this <laughs> fucking strain. Hey, you'll write the review. Yeah, I'll Somebody write Somebody will review. read your review off on their podcast. And it uh, looks like we got about... 23.6% THC. That's not bad. I just knocked over Damn, the Damn, you lighter. just like threw that shit down like a gangster, just like tossed it across the table. Knocked down the lighter, going here, Josh. Oh, man, I fucking had to hear that noise. <laughs> that was a terrible Josh impersonation, by the way. All right, well, uh, while you get that. I don't that, know uh, anybody, it sounds like that. <laughs> while you get that set up, um, I wanted to bring up. Uh, how we got to see the first Terrifier in theaters. That was amazing. Yes, absolutely. I, we still disagree. I still think the the OG is the, the best one. Yeah, I, I, you know, um, I, I disagree. I, I, well, I'm not going to say I disagree because I get it, but I do like too. Actually, my sister who went with us to the theater, uh, she actually just rewatched part two on uh, Screenbox <laughs> and... Um, she told me that she prefers one she liked two a lot but she said she prefers one and i asked her why and she said that uh, i said just curious why you know and, and she said because it felt like it had a more halloween feel to it than uh terrifier 2 did like not in the sense of like halloween like michael myers halloween just more in the sense of the holiday but i again i disagree like the whole like movie the whole big chunk of the movie is based on sienna putting her costume together and you know going to a costume party and uh you know like like pretty art making fucking jack-o'-lanterns for our heads uh candy bowls you know like making a head out of a candy bowl or a candy bowl out of a head i'm already high uh, making a candy bowl out of the head so i think it's, there's there's more halloween stuff into in so i don't i, I don't understand that but um yeah i mean, I mean I but, feel but, like part but, two this yeah. is gonna probably maybe sound like a weird thing i felt like it was way it was much brighter than the first one the first one had that dark grimy like i feel like grindhouse feel. yeah yeah that, i think that's what 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 appeals to the terrifier movies to me and i think probably you as well is even though we're old enough to watch them these this is the type of movie like um where like i get that feeling i did from like i spit on your grave where like i if, if i wasn't old enough to watch this 
I would absolutely be like sneaking around trying to find ways to watch it. Yeah. And like, it just seems like something like you're not, it just, it seems like a movie you're not allowed to watch, but we're just old enough to watch it. You know what I mean? It's funny as I can see, I spit on, on your grave right in my, straight ahead of my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I actually, uh, but, but people say things like, um, you know, oh, why are you going to see a movie that you own on Blu-ray or that you've seen a thousand times or whatever? Because I and, haven't seen it in the theater. Right. You haven't seen it in the theater. But also, it's important to go to, what's important to go to, like, to, about going to these special events like this and these screenings is uh, you notice things that you don't necessarily notice before or hadn't noticed before. And I swear to God, this is the first time out of all the times I've seen the movie, I never noticed that when, that when Tara's walking down the street. Like she realizes she's still wearing the ring and goes ooh and like pulls it off and throws it. And I thought I'm like I never saw that before. All the times I've watched it, so yeah, I don't know why in my mind I thought she took it off in the diner. Yeah, yeah. So it's like so it's like that's why it's important because like seeing it on the big screen does make a difference. And that hacksaw scene, the taint yeah. saw scene, taint saw. You can uh, if you haven't listened to our first episode, it's a little little rough to get through. But we talked to David and. uh we <laughs> I had to ask him if he's the first person to saw somebody uh, saw through somebody's team in film. So if you <laughs> want that answer, go back to the first episode. It's funny because I was turning someone onto our podcast today, and I was like, you know, the first four or five episodes are going to sound a little rough. We were figuring it out as we went. <laughs> but um, all right, the other thing that I wanted—oh, this is my hit. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to bring up is that um, on October sixth, I just found this out. Um, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines hits Paramount Plus as an exclusive. It's a prequel to the remake and is the story of Judd Crandall. And the plot goes as follows from Paramount Plus. In 1969, a young Judd Crandall has dreams of leaving his hometown of Ludlow, Maine, behind, but soon discovers sinister secrets buried within its forced and within and is forced to confront a dark family history that will forever keep him connected to Ludlow. Banding together, Judd and his childhood friends must fight an ancient evil that has gripped Ludlow since its founding, and once unearthed, has the power to destroy everything in its path. Um, yeah, it's uh, directed by Lindsay Beer. It's her directorial debut. John, what are your thoughts on this? It stars David Duchovny, by the way. Not as Judd Crandall, though. Um, I'm good. <laughs> what do you mean there's some ancient evil they gotta fight this... Is this pet cemetery gonna, mixed with it? Like, I think maybe they're going to fight the Wendigo that's in the woods. I guess. And also, why does this have to strictly be a prequel to the sequel? Like, exactly. That was it. Prequel yes. to the original as well. Like, yeah. forget that the shitty remake happened. Do a prequel to the original. That's what I thought. But what I'm saying is, like, in general, why is it not technically both? Like, <laughs> it could. Wouldn't it? Yeah, I but, think could fit it, on both timelines. Kind of canon. That's true. But I think the story, like telling the story of Judd Crandall, is like a good way to go. I said when I heard, I was like, "Oh, it's I Judd guess. Crandall's." But I did by the plot. It doesn't sound like it's going to be. It sounds. I'm not blown away by the plot. I feel like uh, yeah. like it just you know. I mean, we. I guess in a way, yeah. it's kind of ruined because we know how it ends. Or we know how this whole story is going to end based on having seen Pet Cemetery. But uh, yeah, I hear it, hearing. Oh, it's a Judd Crandall story. I was like, "Oh shit, cool." Reading the plot. Not so much. What do you listeners think? Let us know. Um, oh, shit. Uh, yeah, no, no, I was going to say. Um, 
Pet Cemetery, you know, I talk about Scream, and I forget what other movie I say. You really only need the first movie. Oh, yeah. I say like The Matrix. Yes. I mean, Pet Cemetery is that way too. I don't really have, I don't really care for two. I really like two, but I mean, yeah. I, I, I like the first one a lot more. Like, there's a debate, like, in what was the, uh, the Joe Bagos movie that we reviewed? <laughs> Christmas Bloody Christmas. Yeah. Um, uh, remember there was that whole speech about, uh, Pet Cemetery 2 being better? I mean, Nah, I strongly disagree. I love Pet Cemetery too, but because I maybe it's because I watched it growing up. But uh, I I wouldn't mind if it was just part one. Like I don't think part two adds anything to it, but I I don't mind watching it. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna preemptively give Pet Cemetery Bloodlines a three point three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, with that, let's uh, get on uh, into horror history. This week in horror history. All right, let's get into some horror hiss. <laughs> Sorry, I better say horror history before, you know, Josh gets upset. You know how he be. We love you, boo-boo. Actually, they don't. It's behind the scenes. It's, it's, we get bitched out in our inboxes. It's, they don't <laughs> They don't hear it or understand. I, well, I more was asking you. Like, you know how Josh be. I wasn't <laughs> yeah, really asking right. the audience. It was, more, it was more directed at you. Fair enough, fair enough. But anyway. This Hindu mince Josh, just do your job. <laughs> All right, let's start here on July 30th. From we, We'll start with the births. We got 1927. We got Victor Wong, Prince of Darkness, Tremors. Right on. He's amazing, and uh, I love him in Prince of Darkness. Yeah, absolutely. He's one of my... His mustache. He's, he's one of my favorite characters. Him and uh, the scenes with him and Donald Pleasance are really good. Oh, of course, yeah. His, and, he, his facial expressions always seem so genuine when he's talking. And then uh, 1947, we got your boy, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Predator, Terminator. I mean, I don't think I have to Total list off recall. his accomplishments to the majority of you. Yeah, uh, he's my role model, man. I love that guy. He's uh, the most successful immigrant story of all time. You, he, you just like him because he has that video where he's like, I don't have to hide smoking my stogies. You have to run and hide. <laughs> <laughs> That I mean, that's not just why time. I like him, but that doesn't hurt. <laughs> He's like, I smoke wherever I want because I'm a stud. <laughs> uh, and then has kids with the nanny. But anyway, 1961, Lawrence Fishburne made his film debut in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. That's pretty good. If you're yeah. going to make your film debut in a horror movie sequel, that's a, that's a pretty good one to choose. Agreed. <laughs> I mean, I doubt he got to choose it. Um... He doesn't really necessarily do horror, but, I mean, he did say Oppenheimer was going to be a horror, so I've kind of ruined whose birthday it is, but Insomnia, I mean, he got that murder story. Bit, I just wanted bit. an excuse to bring him up, but uh, 1970, Christopher Nolan. Oh, yeah, man. Memento can also be kind of considered a little bit of a thriller. The Machine you know? is, like, yeah. I, I feel like I'm stretching it here, but just because I want to wish Christopher Nolan a happy birthday. <laughs> I actually brought him up tonight. We are talking about Oppenheimer coming out. And I said, all Christopher Nolan needs to do is just have a black screen and it just say a Christopher Nolan film. And that's the trailer. And I'm there. Yeah. You don't even have to tell me. <laughs> I yeah. don't even care what it's about. Christopher Nolan made it. I'll be there. Agreed. Agreed. Like he made the most brutal, disgusting movie. Like Cigarette Birds, the John Carpenter movie, where it's like, once you watch it, you'll want to kill yourself. <laughs> and then I, I'm, I'll see y'all later. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to check this out. And I'm going to IMAX, too. Motherfucker, I'll be a king of Prussia. I'm going to do it right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to die proper. Um, 
1974, funny enough, she was actually in Christopher Nolan's movie Insomnia. Yeah. Hilary Swank, but uh, more for uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yep, of course. I like Hilary Swank. And uh, She did The Reaping. That's a pretty good horror movie, a biblical horror movie. Getting biblical up in here. <laughs> 1982, I just want an excuse to bring this woman up. Yvonne Str- Strahovski, better known as Hannah McKay from the Dexter series. Best Dexter love interest, in my opinion. <laughs> Also the most fucked up, but Yeah. That still, was still better to read. Rita was ass. Damn, that's fucked up. <laughs> R.I.P. I liked Rita, man. The problem was Dexter got fucking married to her, and then that was when that was season four when it picks up and he's like all family man with kids. That was when it was it for him. Like he realized what married life was like and then the audience yeah. started to kind of turn against her. It's a married life, man. <laughs> That'll do that to you. That's the real killer. <laughs> yeah, Dexter got fucking married and that was it. The show went downhill after that. All right. It, it did now, though. But now sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Now now we'll move on to the sadder aspects, some deaths. Uh two thousand seven. Igmar Bergman mm-hmm. was 89 years old. Seven Seal, Devil's Eye. Yeah. Uh, 2014, Dick Smith was 92. Did the effects on a lot of movies, and I'm yeah, just man. touching a couple here. Uh, the Exorcist, Scanners, The Godfather. That's not yeah. horror. Once again, like Christopher Nolan, just want to bring up The Godfather. Well, but one thing that I want to say about The Exorcist that's crazy is that um, if Dick Smith did the makeup on Max von Sydow, and I fucking grew up watching The Exorcist. And I might have mentioned this to you before. I grew up watching The Exorcist, and I always fucking thought that Max von Sydow was fucking old. So did I. And then you find out that he was like a young guy in the movie, and that it was just fucking makeup that made him old. And then you see him as an old man. In Star like, Wars. And you're, yeah, and you're like, oh my god, he looks like he did in The Exorcist, like <laughs> all those fucking 50 years ago. It's insane. And uh, from 2015... The Hot Rod, Roddy Piper, was 61. I think uh, he was having hip surgery or something. Just had happened recently. But well, yeah, uh, yeah. Hell Comes to Frogtown, They Live. Yeah, he's a legend. Uh, did he do like pro wrestlers versus aliens or something? It was like some weird movie. I'm like, sure he did. Pro wrestlers <laughs> versus something. I can't remember. Uh, the movies. Uh, we have Mothra from 1961. Nice. Swamp Thing from 1962. You mean 82. Oh shit! 1962. <laughs> Holy shit! So I didn't see that. I one. got glasses on and I misread that. I didn't and see that one. It's not a typo. I I I, I put 1982. Yeah, I just, just wanted it, it to be 62 for some reason. <laughs> uh, the Blair Witch Project, 1999, and The Village from 04. Um, I just wanted to say I love Swamp Thing, man. He's still one of my favorite comic book characters. I think he's one of the most underrated comic book characters. And uh, the show with Derek Mears is amazing, man. You really need to watch it. Like, I, I uploaded it on your Voodoo. Um, yeah, I saw. Supposedly, James Gunn is doing, like, an R-rated Swamp Thing movie. And I think if you see that show, you're going to agree. Like, it should just be, like, an R-rated version of the show. Like, it's awesome. I'll be honest. I don't know when I'll get around to watching that. I have so many shows I'm behind on. Fair enough. But, uh... I mean, I, it does look good from everything I've seen. Uh, moving on here to the 31st of July uh, for births, we have 1914 Mario Bava, Black Sunday, Black Sabbath, anything yeah. with the black in it. Blood and Black Lace, my favorite by him. <laughs> uh, and 1956, we have Michael Bean, Terminator, Aliens, although I guess... I guess I shouldn't have put Aliens, because I saw a post earlier today on Facebook, and somebody was like, the best horror movie of all time, and I'm like, that's not really a horror. I wouldn't consider... Horror action sci I can see how it's horrific, but yeah, it's more it's action not, sci-fi. It, it's definitely 
definitely different than the original alien. The original sure. alien I'd consider just pure hard. Yeah, agreed. Um, 1962, Wesley Snipes from all three of the original Blades. Hell yeah, the best ones. And uh, deaths, I included this one just for you. 1987, at the age of 81, Joseph E. Levin, he was responsible for Godzilla in America, and also uh, produced Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. <laughs> That's funny. I, I actually have, uh, I've watched Elvira's uh, movie Macabre's uh, doing Santa Claus Conquers the Martians several times, and that movie is fucking terrible, but <laughs> yes. it, is, it is funny as hell. And uh, for films here, uh, we have The Lost Boys, 1987. And then five years after that, another vampire movie, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And then uh, 2009, we have The Collector. Yeah, um, two vampire movies, Lost Boys and Buffy, man. That's, Same uh, day, five yeah. years apart. So I would, I would, have, I would have seen both of them. And uh, moving on to uh, August 1st, uh, for births from 1896, Erie Kennan, uh, House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula. Nice. Uh, no deaths, thank thankfully. We got some films, Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Never from, saw that one. Never saw that one? No. My dad was, uh, I seen them all because, as you're well aware, my dad got me into Universal Monsters, mm -hmm. but my dad also absolutely loved Abbott and Costello. Like, we <laughs> had so, we had a ton of Abbott and Costello stuff on, like, VHS tapes. Like, not just these horror movies, but, like... Just all Abbott and Costello stuff. Like, my dad loved them. So, I, I have seen that one. I don't think I said the year, but it was 1953. Uh, 1954, we have Rear Window. That's probably my second favorite Hitchcock movie after Psycho. I fucking love Rear Window, man. Uh, f Destroy All Monsters yeah. from 1968. Godzilla Love. And then, uh, this one we done, we've done an episode on. that I don't think there was... There may be more, but we're at least one of the few that did a 35th anniversary for Friday the 13th Part 6, the best Friday the 13th, including all the original, just best ever. There's no dispute and descendants. <laughs> <laughs> and that was from uh, 1986. And uh, Spawn from 1997. Still love Spawn, man. Animated series and the movie. I still love Spawn. I love the comics. Man, what was it about, like, the 90s that you had, like, these violent movies that kids, like, shouldn't have been watching, but we did. Right. But then we also had the cartoon that was honestly violent for the, like, Bat yeah. like Batman, Spawn, like, even the X-Men. Like, some of those were some pretty violent cartoons. Especially Spawn. Yeah, Spawn had, like, a sodomy scene in it. You're like, whoa, I remember my mom got pissed when she saw me watching that. She's like, what the <laughs> fuck are you watching? Uh, moving on here to August 2nd for births, we have uh, 1914 Beatrice Strait. She was in Poltergeist and in Wes Craven's Chiller. And then our next birthday, 1939, Wes Craven himself. R.I.P., man. Imagine how many movies he would have made if he was still here. Yeah. By now. He, he was, it was either hit or miss for him, it felt like. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I agree with that, but still, his hits were pretty good. Pretty yeah. damn good. Uh, we'll be getting to, uh, I think, a couple of his movies later down the list. Uh, 1953, uh, Butch Patrick. But, but, but Patrick. <laughs> played uh, Eddie Munster. Uh, 1970, Kevin Smith. Of course you'd mention him. I mean, hey, I got a better reason than Christopher Nolan. At least he did Tusk and Red State. <laughs> those, those qualify, I'd say, maybe more than anything Nolan's done, probably. 
Okay, yeah, although, I would agree for although, sure. Although, those scarecrow scenes in Batman Begins were pretty horrific. <laughs> yeah? Oh, yeah, for sure, definitely. And then uh, rounding out our birth list here, 1977, Edward Furlong. Speaking of Pet Cemetery too. <laughs> Pets, like I told, I told you off air, a lot of these birthdays like coincide with movies or people that have worked together like <laughs> numerous times. It's crazy. Uh, for films, 1985, the best vampire movie, Fright Night. So no, another the, the vampire, best vampire movie was The Lost Boys. We already said that. We, 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 no, we didn't pass The Lost Boys. I don't Boys. remember that. <laughs> but uh, it's funny. Another vampire movie yep. in this week. Yep. Uh, 1999, The Sixth Sense. Six cent, <laughs> six cents, six cent, <laughs> which starts a run of uh, each year. There's a pretty decent movie. 99 was the six cent, and 2000 Hollow Man, mm-hmm. 2001 The Others, and 2002 Signs. And speed, uh, oddly enough, I always loved The Others. And uh, Criterion Collection just announced that they're doing The Others. They're I saw that. That. And that cover is beautiful looking. Uh, moving on here to August 3rd, 1940, we have Martin Sheen, The Dead Zone, and The Believers. And Spawn. And Spawn. He's fucking in Spawn. <laughs> He's fucking in Spawn. <laughs> Damn, fucking no, Martin Sheen laying fucking, pipe. Forget the fucking part. He's just in Spawn. But again, <laughs> my point is, you just said how like, people are like coinciding with other shit. Yeah. He just said Spawn, and then here's Martin Sheen, who was in Spawn. Yeah, and then the next... Uh, well, not the next two, but uh, <laughs> this one and then one, two later, uh, we have a murderer from 1950, John Landis. Yeah, uh, John Landis is a murderer. 1979, I used her just, and it really only horror was, if I remember, was just this uncredited scene <laughs> at Freddy versus Jason of Angelina Lilly. Who was she? She was uh, one of the students, I think, just by oh, the locker okay. is how she's credited. Student by the locker. <laughs> Dude, you know who I think is like the total like unsung babe of that movie? The chick on the dock in the opening? Yeah. That chick is a babe. And then, uh, not a murderer, we have 1985 Max Landis. So he's right. the non-murdering <laughs> Landis. But isn't that, dude, fucking wild. You have both of them have the same birthday. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, deaths we have in 1942 james cruz 58 he was in the title role in the 1912 version of dr jekyll and mr hyde mm. or as i typed it in the notes here hider although <laughs> <laughs> why i put an r on that uh 1983 carolyn jones she was only 53 she was the og morticia oh shit yeah house of wax invasion of the body snatchers and uh for films uh we had piranha 1978 uh, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla from 1999, but it was filmed in 1993 yep. as Gojira versus Mecha Gojira. <laughs> yep. And we had the rebirth of Matra. Matra. Have, have you, are, are, are you a fan of Matra? <laughs> Damn, it's fucking Hindu Hindu mints. Yeah, blame the Hindu mint. I, I always blame the weed. Why would I take credit? Uh, Rebirth of Mothra from 1999, which was filmed in 1996 as Mosura. So a lot of Godzilla and Mothras. Yeah, they like August. Oh, damn. That's <laughs> kind of fucked up. It's around the time <laughs> the Atomic Pop got trapped. <laughs> oh, shit. Speaking of Oppenheimer. I wonder if that was done on purpose to like coincide with it to be like, since that's kind of, you know, the whole idea behind Godzilla. And, like, I wonder if they actively chose the same month i wonder if killian murphy is going to be in uh, godzilla minus one 
Maybe. <laughs> I don't know why, but maybe. Because he set off the bomb, bro. <laughs> he didn't start the fire. <laughs> uh, moving on here to uh, August 4th. We got a uh, birth from 1918. Yoshifumi Tajima. Rodan. Mothra. King Kong versus Godzilla. Another one. Another one. Damn. Uh, 1944. Richard Belzer. The Puppet Master, Species 2. And also, like, how many years on Law & Order? <laughs> like, different Yeah, versions. right, right. Uh, 1955, Billy Bob, Thornton, Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town, <laughs> and Grizzly. It ain't got no gas in it. <laughs> Leave it at that. <laughs> Leave it at that. Films, we got White Zombie, 1932. Hollow Man, 2000. And I say this, I think, probably every time I bring it up. Underrated movie, Red Eye from 2005. Yeah, another Killian Murphy movie. Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, Rachel McAdams. Yeah, don't forget that. Yeah, that's your girl. Don't be forgetting that. Put some <laughs> spect on it. <laughs> uh, and I think we're here to our last day of August 5th. The Burst. <laughs> Say like that every time. Burst. You don't, you, don't, you don't like Burst? 1935, John Saxton, Nightmare on Elm Street, Black Christmas. Again, another tie back to Wes Craven. Yeah. And now we just mentioned Black Christmas. 1941, Bob Clark's <laughs> birthday, Black Christmas. Who John Saxton was also in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no tie with this next one from 1961, Tawny Catane, which board. Also, that's, that's uh, the babe from uh, that Waste League video. Yeah. Also, uh, I'm a fan, you know, of, uh, well, they're the Cleveland Guardians now, but they yeah. used to be the Cleveland Indians. We had a Cleveland pitcher, Steamers. Chuck Finley, and he was married to her, and apparently she used to beat him. Oh, my God. So, I don't know why what relevance that has. I just thought it was fucking wild that a Major League Baseball pitcher was getting beat up by Tawny Catane. Right. Catane? With the Tawny eyes. Did you say Tawny Catane? Contain? I did not say contain. <laughs> sounded like you said Tony Contain. I thought Moving you were- on, 1970, we're going to go James Gunn from Slither and the remake of Dawn of the Dead. I love, I love Sl- that name- Slither uh, for the pure reason that there's Mr. Pibb in it. I, I like Slither and uh, the, the Dawn of the Dead remake. I always liked the Dawn of the Dead remake. Um, Slither's really fucking good, too. Like, uh, I, I'm a, Yeah, I, I admit it. I'm a James Gunn fan. I think the dude does good movies. I did like his uh, Suicide Squad. I still haven't seen that. It was pretty good. It was better than that other version they did. That other version. I don't remember who made it. Yeah, John Cena be in it. Dude, dude. John Cena was fucking amazing in that movie. Was he really? I mean, they gave him his own fucking show on HBO. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Uh, For deaths, we have Richard Burden from Exorcist 2. Are you a fan of Exorcist 2? Nope. I don't get why people like this. No, dude, I had never seen this, and my buddy Adam used to live with us. Dude, I remember I found out, you know, back when you used to get the newspaper for the week, and it would tell you that's how you found out what was on TV. Yeah, yeah. So I saw Exorcist Two was going to be on AMC Fear Fest, and I was like, "Fuck yeah!" I've never seen Exorcist Two. Dude, me and him went to Wawa. We got a bunch of snacks and shit. We were ready like halfway through. We're just bullshitting because we're like, this movie's fucking terrible. Yeah, dude, it was bad. It was people really bad. People love it, though. No, I it's terrible. It. Exorcist 3 is so much better, man. Uh, yeah. It, it and then picks people, it up better. And then, but then the people like 2 hate 3. I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, I don't either. I don't. Dude, 2 is two is bad. Uh, it's butt. It's butt cheese. That's being nice. It's like the, it's like the Hellraiser 3. 
I just like I don't get why people like this. I <laughs> like I, about this for sure. Yeah. Okay. Now that I've properly shit all over Exorcist two. Uh, 1995, and on the guy's death, too. That's pretty fucked up. I feel kind of bad now. It's all about him being dead and then just shit on the one movie we named him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 1995, uh, we got Cla- uh, Clarice Blackburn, uh, 74. She was in Dark Shadows, played Mrs. Johnson. Nice. I wasn't in, uh, I never really watched Dark Shadows. I know my mom did, but uh, I never really got into it. I'm not a fan of the Johnny Depp movie or the Tim the Tim Burton oh, movie, movie. Rather, oh, oh, that show. Movie I love was, the show. That man. movie was god awful. I yeah. remember it's when I worked at the movie theater, and Nicole wanted to go see it. I wanted to go see that claymation movie, Pirates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everybody else there all wanted to see Dark Shadows, so I was like, fine, I guess I'll see Dark Shadows. Halfway through, I was like. I should have fucking seen Pirates. <laughs> even Nicole, who loves Johnny Depp, was even she still was like, "Yeah, that movie's bad. It is not good." Yeah, I mean, it was a, st- a huge step up from like some of his other movies, like Alice in Wonderland and fucking uh, Tim uh, William, the, uh, well, fucking Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, still a huge disappointment. I don't think you heard me whisper that. No, one. I, I heard you. I heard you. He's, uh, you don't. I, you don't. You don't. You don't. You don't want to jump on the hate train you get for saying Tim Burton overrated. No, I, I like. I think Tim Burton. Okay, uh, Sleepy Hollow, uh, the first Batman movie. Um, he did not direct the Nightmare Before Christmas. Shocker! Everybody thinks he did. No, he did not. Um, <laughs> that must be why I like it then. <laughs> um, Beetlejuice. Big fish. Oh, shit, Beetlejuice is good. I'll give him that. <laughs> um, Edward, Edward Fingerhands. Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'd say he has about five really good movies. They're like really good movies. But they're like they're older at this point. Shut big Bogart in this fucking ball. Big fish is probably the newest one, and that was like a decade ago or more. Like yeah, probably way over ten fine. years. He, he said the same thing. Basically, you overrated. So uh, moving <laughs> on to the 2014 death of Marilyn Burns at 65. Uh, TCM. Texas That's, Chainsaw, yeah. Sally Hardesty. Yeah, and then they just ruined her fucking character in that new one. Ugh. Uh, yeah, we, I think we bring that up like every episode uh, dude, at this it's point. Still, it's still, bo- I don't know why it bothers me for a franchise I'm not really that attached to. <laughs> you but, know what I mean? Like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, if like you're going to get me with like the Slasher series, it's pretty, pretty low down on my list. Well, dude, the funny thing was was that my buddy Josh actually brought up a point to me that I did we didn't even talk about. I told him about um how uh we were complaining about how like Leatherface picks her up on the chainsaw and then throws her like twenty feet across the street into trash bags and then you said you did not think it was that far and then rewatched the movie with your with your fiance and then realized you're like, No, he really did throw her like twenty feet and uh Josh goes, Not even that he's like, That's bad. He's like, But how about how she was in the room with him point blank and had a shotgun pointed at him and then just put her gun down and let him walk out the room just to confront him in the street and then get stabbed and thrown across the street twenty feet. I'm like, Oh shit, you're right. Yeah. You're right. How did he even get to that point? The motherfucker was sitting on the bed. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, anyway. But, uh, so, uh, films, uh, we have 13 ghosts from 1960, the blob, the 1988 version. And, uh, I mean, fucking, I'm getting hate on Halloween that I don't think's that good. Halloween H2O from 1998. <laughs> Halloween one, Halloween two, and and H2O. Would, that's see, my timeline. That's my preferred timeline. I feel like my, my assessment. Timeline. I like H2O a lot. I just kept talking over you there. I know. That's why I'm going to keep the love flowing for H2O. You don't shit it on it enough. All I'm going to say is I feel like I my opinion should be even more valid on it. 
because this was the first Halloween I ever got to see in theaters. So you would think just for that, I would just like it as much as I like the franchise. But no, it's not that good. Hold on. I won't say it's not that good because there's some god-awful ones in the franchise. It is okay. All right. It's like middle of the pack for me in the Okay, Halloween I'll take that. I, I really like it. Again, it's my third favorite. Um, If I'm not... If I, okay, again, I kind of disown the entire david gordon green trilogy i kind of disowned all of them if i still if i don't count 2018 like halloween if i don't count one. that i would say that it's it's one two, is, one two and h2o were like my three kills is kill i i don't mind kills i, I but guess. just knowing how it all concludes i can't get into those movies anymore knowing what it's leading to you know go back to the old the old example i use game of thrones i but, know how uh, it's gonna end so i've yeah right i've thought about rewatching game of thrones i'm like but i know how it ends so i don't have any interest um but i did want to say you mentioned the blob from 1988 again i'll say uh the thing the blob and the fly are the three best remakes i'll stand by that that's, that's fair <laughs> i can't really argue that especially uh the thing I yeah. mean, you could just say well, that's number one. That's the number one. I, everybody's I don't even think book. it's. I, I know somebody will get made. I don't even think that's controversial. That I don't see how that is not the best horror <laughs> remake. Yeah, it should be. It's, I think it is universal at this point. Just like I say, like one of the best remakes of all time, Scarface. Yeah, that was a remake. From, yeah, right. From that's 1930s right. 1930s version. Yep. They just changed uh, Italians and bootlegging to Cubans and cocaine. <laughs> But uh, I think that'll about wrap up our history. I guess now we can get into some Puff Puff Ask. Yo, man. Puff Puff Ask. It's time for Puff Puff Ask, the segment of our show where we read off messages that you listeners write into us on social media at HighOnHorror420 and through email at HighOnHorror420 at gmail.com and the website at HighOnHorror.com. I did that shit all in one breath. That was smooth. I'll start. Wendy Baker emailed us and asked, uh, what are our thoughts on the Nun 2 trailer? Uh, all right, I'm going to go first. I'll make this short and sweet. I say this about, uh, first of all, I will say that I love James Wand with a pa- wand. I love James Wan with a passion. I really do. Um, all of his movies, just about, I absolutely love. I still haven't seen Aquaman, but I mean, all of his movies, Death Sentence, Saw, uh, Dead Silence, um, The Conjuring, the first Conjuring, the second Conjuring. Um, I, I, I really, really, uh, Malignant. I really like James Wan. I love the first two Conjuring films. Uh, I, I, I dislike the first Annabelle. I loved Annabelle creation. Annabelle comes home was, eh, the nun movie was, eh, um, I guess in a whole, I'm not really like, um, I'm not, I wasn't blown away by it and I'm not necessarily like looking forward to it because I feel like all of these sub conjuring movies are, are subpar. Um, and then the first nun movie really sucked. So, uh, I saw the trailer. I think we might have seen it. We we uh, saw Terrifier, right? Yeah, they had a trailer for yeah, it. And, uh, I just, yeah, and it just seemed like, eh. I mean, yeah, we're going to see it. We're going to review it, but uh, I have no expectations. Um, I thought the trailer was okay. I mean, I didn't have interest in seeing the first one. I don't really have interest in seeing this one, but, I mean, we'll still see it, like you said. But I don't know. I, the Nun never really did anything for me outside of being the scary painting and the the, the and first the conjuring movie. yeah Conj- i mean conjuring too the first Con- conjuring the conjuring too yeah conjuring too uh yes yeah, so, i mean it's uh, it's whatever it's there that's about what i think it's of it there uh duh, duh, duh. we got a facebook message from uh matt keller asking if we saw the exorcist believe posters and our opinions on believer yeah Believe when I say believers, 
Bleebs. Uh, uh, the posters look really good. I, I mean, I'll give them that. Um, as for the movie, I don't really. I whatever. I have, I have again with the not. I have no hope. I have not no hope. I have no expectations. But I, I did see yeah. the posters. Actually, I saw them today on Facebook. Or, yeah, I think that's where I saw. Them. I, I the posters yeah. look fantastic. I agree. They look creepy. They look creepy. But uh, seeing what David Gordon Green did, I just I don't think he's the dude that can do an Exorcist uh, sequel the right way. Um, we'll see. That's big shoes to fill for someone like David Gordon Green. But yeah. Yeah, that's all I got to say on that, John. <laughs> um, all right, if you have any questions for us, reach out on social media, again, at HighOnHorror420, or email us at HighOnHorror420 at gmail.com, or visit the website HighOnHorror.com. Now, let's get into our review of Baby Blue. That rhymed. All right, Baby Blue is a uh, 2023 uh, like cell phone supernatural slasher s- serial killer movie. Uh, the synopsis uh, you can find it right from Tubi, which is uh, where you can go check it out. One of the uh, better Tubi movies, I would say. Absolutely. Uh, teens teens stumble across the story of a now dead serial killer who's named da-da, Baby Blue. And decide he'd be the perfect subject of a true crime podcast. Uh, however, they start when they start digging, they quickly discover that uh, the, his murder spree never stopped. Um, dude, I gotta say, when I was watching this, the first thing I thought of was the scene at the school. Okay. And that homegirl just jokered herself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was my oh, first yeah. night. I said, "Damn, homegirl jokered herself." Well, I really like uh, how they how the, the 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 brother brothers and sister go from like jackass to true crime documentary like yeah. that that jump because they really were like a jack. They were just pulling off little stupid stunts, and so that was kind of cool to see them go to like what is it called a, a vlog? Yeah, it's like a vodcast. A vodcast. That's it. Yeah, I'm I'm so behind in the terms, man. A vodcast. Okay, but. Uh, yeah, I just I like that. Uh dude, the uh Kelvin Jones, that dude was wigging out. Dude. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> His suicide tape triggers everything. Uh but but yeah, that uh <laughs> I agree. I agree. Definitely I, I thought of the uh, Eliza uh Lamb Cecil Hotel thing like right away when I saw that. Oh dude, that. that was the first thing and it was funny because uh uh you'll you bring that up in the interview and like when I was gonna write my questions out, I was looking at yours to compare and I thought I was like, oh man, the Cecil Hotel. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Fuck, Drew figured it out too. I'm like, damn, that means I don't, I ain't as smart. Like everybody probably just figured that out. I ain't as, I ain't as smart as I think. Because like it, it definitely seems like that video from the Cecil Hotel. Like, yeah, it's kind of an act the same way. That's strange dude, behavior I'll on the elevator. You, yeah. There's not too many of those kinds of videos that creep me out, but the whole time, like I've watched those videos of her, the actual yeah. videos from the Cecil Hotel, not, right. not not Baby Blue, like watching those videos, man, like the Netflix documentary. Yeah, I legit would get goosebumps in my hair. Yeah, you just know something's wrong. Something's wrong. Yeah, something's wrong. And you can ask Nicole. I'm the kind of person that's kind of like, oh, like somebody had a schizophrenic break and she might have but just the way that it's portrayed through the camera like that shit still yeah, creeps me out when I, I agree. see it 
like you could tell she's literally terrified of something. And, and Kelvin and is she definitely... might have just like had a schizophrenic break, but right, like right. just like to her, it's it's real and it makes makes it feel real to me. Yeah, you like, feel, just you even talking about it, man. Like I don't that video fucking bothers me. And that's why when I saw Kelvin, I thought I'm like you said, like, whoa, he's wigging out. Like this dude's like something's wrong, you know, and and then yeah, um we see that dude just uh commit Harry Carey and you know, like that's when it's like Swan I said, that triggers the building. That triggers everything, man. Uh yeah, and also his final words were uh pee poo on my car ride. <laughs> that Not shit true. had me dying right but that was yeah that was hilarious uh what about um one of my favorite lines in the movie you're a jordan peterson fan aren't you fucking serious arnold is a slobbery bastard isn't he? yeah he is and uh baby blue 32 men and women like oh yeah not only is the dude like one of the youngest but like the most prolific serial killers as well he's, he's like the i think the, they say that he um is like the uh he has like the highest body count. Like he's the the biggest body count serial killer. So yeah, and he's the youngest. I think. I'm. I wish I didn't say that now because I'm like, damn, I don't remember. But I know he was the youngest. But I think his body count also might have been like the highest. I'm not sure. Don't hold me to that. I you you'd think I'd I'd know having watched the movie twice, but that that eludes me. Yeah, I. I mean, yeah, 32 is a lot. And the funny thing is he talks about, like, he goes through and talks about, like, how all these different serial killers were stupid and that's why they got caught. Yeah. Yeah, but, right. And, uh, yeah, as you, as you said, he looks <coughs> like, uh, oh, shit, I just lost Bill, Bill Paxton from, uh. Near Dark. Yeah, Near Dark. Dude, it bothered me. For the longest time, I was like, why does this look familiar? Why does this look familiar? And then when you brought it up, I'm like, oh, shit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, man. That's exactly what he the, looks the like. The blood on the face and everything. I mean, that's also better than the Lost Boys. But anyway. False. False information. <laughs> False. Uh, that woman's voice is creepy as fuck. Um, yeah, right? Uh, I, I just wanted to say real quick that, uh, the first of all, uh, Baby Blue's phone is like the ball in the changeling, man. The fucking phone just keeps coming back. Throw that <laughs> thing in the fucking ocean and that motherfucker's in your fucking bed the next day. <laughs> <sighs> Terrible. And also uh yeah so later we're getting into spoilers you know us yep but uh basically you find out that you know baby blue's kind of working from the afterlife so to speak yeah and uh they end up going and seeing a psychic which in this movie it's like one of the few like comedic scene but she's fucking amazing like my, my, oh yeah dude her reaction after the possession mm -hmm. and just goes, oh, like, yeah. huh, I'm highly susceptible to demon possession. And just like, it's just like it happens all right, the time. She's just over she it. Yeah. It off, and then her fucking wood store stock story. <laughs> so, yeah. Sucked every cock on the block. Right. Yeah. It <laughs> yeah. was hilarious, man. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, uh, yeah. Oh, good. That was, I, I really liked the, the whole thing. Like you had said about how baby blue was more, um, like it's, a, it's like a cur like, like it's, um, it's a curse, right? It's like you when you watch his suicide tape and then you commit suicide, but you're not. It's like when you find out, you don't just like see people behaving strange. You actually see what they see, and they are seeing Baby Blue. Like he's haunting them from beyond the grave, like putting knives in their hands, tall, like essentially, like you know, making them do shit, getting in their heads. And in a way, it's not really them, suicide, right? It's it's making he's making them kill themselves, like you know, in ways that they don't even know they're killing themselves. Um, 
uh, some willingly, some not, you know, and so it's like he's actually just continuing his body count from beyond the grave, which I think is, like I said, why I think he had the highest body count in history, because it's like he's even adding to it, so it's even more than we actually think it is. But um, <laughs> but uh, the only way we need, to we need we need we need we need a judge like after your heartbeat has ceased, your kills don't count. Right. Well, <laughs> uh, the only fucking way known to survive Baby Blue is to be strapped down and fed through a tube, or as we later find out from August, like knocking yourself out on the sink works too. Um, you, yeah. you know, you, you you can't kill yourself if you're asleep, I guess, right? But yeah, it's pretty fucked up, dude. The whole scene with the dude with the with, with, with the dude fucking being strapped down and his eyes and shit. Ugh. And what about uh, Obama breaking turds down by hand, bro? What the fuck? And that's not even maybe the grimiest thing of all. <laughs> that's right, right. That's fucking that. That, but I, that I, tea I, treat. I love how Alice just <laughs> dropped the cookie as soon as Mama brought up how she breaks like the solids down by hand in the toilet. Alice picked up a cookie off the plate as soon as Mama said that shit. She put it back. <laughs> I cracked up at that. I mean, yeah, I would have I been like, oh, are you serious? Yeah, Ugh. what is up with some fucking disgusting titties in some horror movies? This barbarian. <laughs> right? They're trying to ruin breastfeeding for us, man. <laughs> They're trying to fucking. There's become, people trying to normalize it. Come on. There's people. They, it's like they're trying to give us PTSD. Post titty stress disorder. Oh my god! Yeah, the the the, the breast. Oddly enough, scene, Josh yeah. told us that was his favorite scene. And what was? His favorite scene, Josh. Yeah. So his favorite was the breastfeeding scene. <laughs> yeah, he's he's gonna enjoy you that. Took me one. serious there for a I minute. I did. I you got Josh. See it? I did. I did that. Um, I mean, we can't even get Josh to watch like a three minute video. Yeah, right. Can't even I don't even this. think he listens to this podcast. He I doesn't. Think he just puts it together and he, puts it out. He has one earbud in when he's like doing the dishes or something. <laughs> and just, you know, copies and click shit. He's like, that looks good. But one one thing that I want to bring up is that uh, I I really liked how um I, I gotta stop saying that every time I want to talk about something I go one thing I wanted to bring up and it's like I'm just but you have multiple things correct so um, you're a liar. Right, um, but I really like how oh, uh, there's another that. complaint for our <laughs> for our editor Josh John hitting his microphone. Um, anyway, uh, I, I really like when Baby Blue smokes, and you can see like cigarette smoke coming out the back of his head where the gunshot wound is. I thought that was that was really cool. Uh, that was a cool detail. Okay, I'm totally unrelated. Well, kind of related to that. It's all about smoking. Uh, kids don't listen to kids if you're listening you shouldn't be listening smoking's fucking cool I don't care what people say <laughs> all the badass characters in movies fucking smoke that's true but, but see there's a trade off you get the lung cancer but like you look badass the baby blue. until you have a hole in your throat you gotta breathe out of it you know what I mean? uh, dude baby blue's got it made when you think about it like, he just has like a never ending supply of cigarettes He's just like Yo, dead. You imagine like, just you finish just, a J and then there's just another J. Oh my god, that, that's heaven, right? So that's heaven, hell. right? Maybe yeah. <laughs> then he's getting people to kill other people for him. He's living the American dream. Yeah, right. He, yeah, seriously, man. But uh, I don't know who's American dream that is. Okay, but. so so when JJ is putting the ball gag, the ball gag in August's mouth to like Ugh. stop him from like you know like biting his tongue off, and <laughs> best line in the movie for me, man. When uh, he goes, you know, I got this at a sex store. And Alice goes, like, a sex store? And he goes, well, I didn't get it in the used section. And Alice <laughs> just goes, used section? <laughs> like, that shit fucking cracked me up. Like, I don't, uh, uh, just used, a used section in a sex shop. This is just vile to even think about, bro. 
they, they put rubbing alcohol on it. It's that doesn't crazy. matter. No. <laughs> they put they use salt and rubbing alcohol. It's like this ain't a ball. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, oh man. The salt salt kills everything. <laughs> it's got it's, it's got to be sea salt though. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you gotta you gotta get the details right. Oh, thank you for just obliging with me. Just going, yeah, definitely. It has to be sea salt. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, oh. you ready to do our ratings? You want to talk more yeah. about the movie or? Yeah, I'm good for ratings. You want to go right. first? Yeah, I'll go first. Okay, so like you mentioned earlier about it being such a good movie for Tubi, I was taken aback by how good it is. Um, this is the best movie that I've seen on Tubi. It's 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 dark and sinister, you know, in tone, but it's also playful with dark and downright straightforward humor at times. And uh, I feel like there's a lot of tragedy, like a tragedy feel to this movie. It feels tragic. And uh, sure. as far as curses go, I really like that we get to know Baby Blue and see him interact with the cast, like I said, and get to see like a personality. Like you don't really get to see Samara in the ring. You just kind of like see her crawl through the TV. You don't get to know her. And I like that you get to like Baby Blue you has get a, a personality bit towards the end of the ring. But yeah. Not a whole lot and uh in other cursed movies like i said you know the, you know the reputation of the antagonist uh you know like she speaks a few lines like samara she speaks a few lines but that's all you know and uh baby blue you know showed you you know who the killer is and um this is the best curse movie i think in recent memory as far as i'm concerned like thinking of like curse movies can't think of one right now in recent memory that i would say is better than this one um even after watching it with my wife uh she said i don't really have any complaints about it and that's kind of how i feel i think it was good acting good st- good story good score uh I g- it's not like a super scary movie so that is uh like it's only flaw i guess to me but it's not that type of movie so yeah. uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it i give it an 8.25 out of 10 um it's funny uh you we, we we both have kind of alluded to the fact that Tubi doesn't have the best originals, right? But I've been thinking like we're talking about this one. I wish I could remember the one we just talked about recently. Do do do, 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 do you remember the other Tubi movie we just reviewed? Well, the bride. Thank you. Couldn't remember. <laughs> that was go. a good one. There, there's another one that's been released that you like. Maybe maybe Tubi's kind of. Kind of starting to go in the right direction here. They just got a movie After, on there. They just needed to right. figure some stuff out, but it seems like they're... <laughs> I mean... Play well, Dead, the new Jerry O'Connell movie that's on there. It's pretty decent. They, yeah, like they're getting pretty... pretty. They're they're up in their game. They're becoming actual competition. Yeah, which, which is nice, because, I mean, it was kind of like... I feel like most horror fans just went there because they have a plethora of exploitation movies. Right. And people can check those out. But now... and. People used to kind of, I mean, even we did, you know, some so, some of those 2B originals were not good. Yeah, oh yeah, oh god, But no. now it kind of seems like, you know, maybe the tide's, tide's turning on that, and maybe maybe so, somebody there figured something out, because they've been, they've been having a string of movies where you go, oh, this is... It's a pretty good 2B movie. And then you watch another one, and you go, hey, this one's even better. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's awesome. But, uh... Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the movie as well. And also... I don't know why I get this feel from it. Um, the only thing I can think of is maybe the mama character arc. But there was a lot of times watching it, I felt like one of the other inspirations for it was Prisoners. Like, oh, I feel like it has a little bit of Prisoners in there. That's good. I can see that with the mom. Okay. Yeah. I kind of got that kind of feel. Like, kind of how it's, it's self-aware 
in the movie that hey this is kind of like the ring yeah yeah it's yeah even brought up i felt and it does have a couple different inspirations to it yeah. but i felt like that's one the more i've thought about it that i just keep thinking of prisoners sometimes when i think of it um yeah everything like, like you said there's there's nothing to really really complain about um i would give it a 7.7 all right so uh yeah check it out it's on tubi it's free so you don't even have to pay anything so. yeah you have nothing to lose it's a fun time i mean time if you didn't like it but you're gonna like it so. yeah but you always got time to lose <laughs> <laughs> anyway i'm done being philosophical here all right well now uh i guess it's time to get into a segment we we haven't really had on this show in a while so burn and learn oh All right, it's time for Burn and Learn, the segment of our show where we share information about the movie we're reviewing that is not common knowledge or easily found just by searching online. I'll start. The special effects were done by Gary Tunicliffe, who did the new Hellraiser film, and uh, that is just badass. The special effects in this movie were awesome. That was something I never had a complaint. Nothing ever looked cheesy or terrible. Like The effects were really fucking good. I don't even think Josh could give the effects of that a 3.3. Yeah, right? And... Uh- the music was composed by Jimmy Lavelle, who composed the music for all Benson and Moorhead. Adam Mason said he's, quote, a true hero of Baby Blue. A small world connection there is that Allie, who plays Alice in the movie, was in Synchronic, which Jimmy did the score for. Uh, the biggest star in the movie is actually the young girl in the beginning, Leah McHugh from the Eternals. She did the scene for Adam as a favor. He had previously worked for her in one of his Blumhouse movies on Hulu, They Come Knocking. Oh, nice. Uh, the movie was all shot on red Komodo cameras loaned to them by Red. Uh, the camera Alice uses in the movie is a special edition baby blue Komodo. Very appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, man, I got a got a frog in my throat at the end of that, but uh, I said it was very appropriate. You caught it, though. I don't know if it came out. <laughs> I think, yeah, you got it. Um, right, about 30% of the movie was completely reshot um, for unknown reasons. Uh, Adam... Uh, that sucks because Adam made the movie for free, so you know to have to reshoot thirty percent of it definitely sucks. But um, the uh, final days of the reshoots were undertaken uh, the week that his father passed away. Um, he got to the hospital in England one hour before his dad passed, so okay. luckily he got to see him. Um, all right, well I guess you know let's talk to Adam now and uh, go deeper into Baby Blue now streaming on Tubi. Today's guest is the co-writer and director of Baby Blue. He's also known for his work on Songbird, The Visitor, Play Dead, The Devil's Chair, Pig, and a lot more. Welcome, Adam Mason. Thank you for being on High on Horror. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. All right, so, man, first question. Um, You're on High on Horror. You know, some of your movies have uh, a lot of it in there, so I have to ask, uh, do you uh, smoke The Devil's Lettuce? (laughs) <laughs> not really no i mean i i have plenty of times but it kind of <laughs> it, it interferes with my drinking yeah it's you know i think people either go one way or the other don't they it's, it's rare that one can enjoy both yeah maybe maybe you just need some edibles with the with the alcohol i think it would just fuck, <laughs> fuck me up though or at least it has in the past oh uh, yeah it, w- it would be way worse to do <laughs> if you don't like smoking a drink and the edibles and drink it would make it like 10 times worse i know yeah i like, yeah, I like falling over i like drinking more than smoking so i guess i just had to make a decision 
And uh, what what got you into horror as a fan, and uh, also made what made you want to work in the genre? Um, well, when I was young, a long time ago now, I I fell in love with Jaws, the movie Spielberg movie. Uh, it was sort of the advent of VHS, and I rented it over and over again before I finally getting a copy. And I must have watched it, you know, hundreds of times, and that was sort of my gateway movie into horror, I suppose. And I just loved. I mean, I loved Dracula, vampires, and then simultaneously, or a little bit later, I started to get into Stephen King when I was about 12. So I just devoured all of his books, like particularly the 70s classics going into the 80s stuff up to like Dark Half kind of era, I guess it, around there. And then um, moving into my teens, I started loving sort of reanimator, those kind of movies got really into wanting to do uh, special effects makeup which i mean i grew up in the middle of nowhere in england so it was just really hot i didn't know anyone who was who'd ever been involved in film or anything so um and it always seemed very unrealistic that i'd be able to get into it myself so i just you know we fucked around with uh, putty and latex and makeup palettes and making fake blood on my mum's mm. stove and that kind of stuff and realized reasonably quickly that I wasn't sort of uh, good enough at art probably to be a, be any good as a makeup effects artist. I just, you know, I couldn't really sculpt and didn't feel talented enough, but about, but I started making short films to, um, as a way of uh, doing the horror makeup stuff. So I would make the film to try and do some gore gag or other. And so uh, as I turned like 15 or so for a few years there, I just made a lot of horror shorts um, and then that somehow evolved into me making a feature when I was uh, 22 or something, I think it was. Okay, and uh, yeah, I'd read that you were a big Stephen King fan, and I was going to ask about that. Uh, do you have a favorite book? Yeah, I mean, I love, uh, do I have a favorite? Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure, probably The Stand. But I love all of them. I love all of them, from Carrie through to, like I said, like uh, Dark Half Misery. I sort of, I don't know if I just aged out of him a little bit or if he just <laughs> became a bit shit, but uh, <laughs> it's just that, you know, that period of however many years where just everything he wrote was absolutely incredible. I love the Backman books. There's a short story he wrote called The Long Walk, which is one of my favorites, but, you know, just everything he did back then, I just, I loved it. I used to love the covers, particularly. I remember the cover for Salem's Lot in the UK. Mm. They were just works of art, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And his run as a writer, that uh, to follow up what John was saying and asking you about Stephen King, I feel like you know you talk about that run of books. I feel like that's almost like uh, the, how John Carpenter had a run of horror in like the seventies and eighties. It's like the, for a period of time, those two were just unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty unprecedented, really. It's um, superhuman, almost. I would say. Well, um, so what made you want to have a career in movie making? I mean, it was kind of the lack of ability to do anything else in a way. I always wanted to be in bands. That's what I really wanted to do. Um, after I realized I couldn't do special effects makeup, I wanted to be a you know, a rock musician or a, be in a metal band or something. <clears throat> and then realized I wasn't good enough at guitar, really. Or at least I didn't have the confidence to stand on stage and be in a band, although I was in various bands over the years. Um, and then I sort of just failed upwards, really. I went to university i didn't know what to do when i left school so i went to university to do english and i got kicked out of there after about six months for just a complete lack of attendance and um on my way out the door the uh 
they they sent me to the careers office and this very nice lady there asked if I actually was interested in anything kind of scathingly I guess and or mockingly and I I said well I've always loved movies and she said well why don't you try and go to film school and I I never heard of such a thing and so I looked into it and I think back then there were uh, this is like in the mid 90s there were two film schools in the whole of England or the United Kingdom um and I kind of not thinking I'd get in I applied to one of them and then did get in and that pretty much changed my life overnight really I I started there when I was about 19 moved to London um and it was just a whole amazing experience for me suddenly meeting other people who wanted to work in film I'd never met anyone I mean there's, there's a bit of a side story there where when I was younger I I was going out with this girl who it turned out that her dad played Frank the Monster in Hellraiser and it was the oh, first oh, wow. yeah and it was the first time I'd ever been starstruck in my whole life and I <laughs> loved I mean I still love Hellraiser so much and so to me meeting someone who had been in a film that I worshiped like I worshiped Hellraiser and then this lovely gentleman Oliver Smith's his name and then um, he kind of was a I've had a few mentors over the years of people who kind of looked out for me and helped me along my way and uh, he was the first and introduced me to all of his friends actor friends in London and so on and so I started to hang around those kind of people and I kind of fell in love with the lifestyle as much as anything else I just never was someone who was ever going to get a job or anything like that particularly I've tried and failed many times and been fired more times than I can remember and um just one way or another I kind of fell into it really I just kind of kept going and I never stopped it wasn't like i had some mad belief that i'd be any good at it or anything um it was just something that i really loved and lo- the more i did it the more i enjoyed it and it's the people you know i just love the people in that that, I, that i've got to work with and collaborate with over the years yeah that's that's an excellent story so you just kind of on a whim were like hell i'd like to make movies and then organically you like met people like that and it worked out for you so i mean hey man that's amazing it looks like you found what the hell you were met for <laughs> i guess so i mean i have some pretty ridiculous stories from back then if i don't know how much time you have but it was kind of like one haphazard thing that i would initiate led to another and then another and it, and and eventually i ended up you know doing all right i guess I got you. Well, um I wanted to know um you you write and direct your projects or some of them. You do both. Which is harder and which do you find to be more rewarding? Well, I mean, it's for me it's all sort of part and parcel of the same thing. I never considered myself a writer. I'm extremely dyslexic, so it was the last thing I ever thought I'd be able to do. But much like the kind of special effects makeup stuff, I I started writing when I was in my teens uh as a way of just being able to make something it wasn't like anyone else was going to write something for me to make so i started writing these uh, kind of hilarious horror movies i mean not hilarious not intentionally hilarious anyway horror movies the first one i made was called rebirth of the cannibal death zombie i made that when i was 15 i think um that sounds awesome <laughs> i kind of one way or the other i sort of just i just started to love writing and 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 again i never thought i was any good at it but you know once you've done something once and then twice and then suddenly you've done it 10 times and 20 times you sort of just fall into it i think the the mistake most people make is they're kind of intimidated or afraid to try something because they worry that they're not any good at it but the reality is that no one's any good at anything when they start and the way that you get good at something is to just do it over and over again so but for me to answer your question for me 
the, the, it's not that I enjoy one part more than the other because they're so different. But to me, it's just like the whole process is what I love. And like I love coming up with an idea. I've worked with the same writer, co-writer for 20 years now. This guy, Simon Boys, mm-hmm. <clears throat> another British guy. And um, I just love, I love coming up with an idea together. And then we just spend this really immersive time cracking it. it takes ages sometimes, you know. But the whole time I'm sort of imagining the film in my head and how it should look. And and then you suddenly one day you get a call where you've got a bit of money, someone wants to make it, and now you're into, like, who's who's going to be in it? And gradually the sort of picture that I have in my head starts to change as the ingredients change, and it takes on this sort of magical uh, vibe where it, you know, or it just takes on a life of its own, basically. And, um, and that's kind of amazing. Sometimes it's fucking terrible and... <laughs> you you end up working with people who are just god awful and other times it's just amazing you know and uh but it's, it's always memorable that's what i love about it and i don't know as i've got older i mellowed i used to be quite angry when i was younger i realize now and uh <laughs> probably a bit of a dick but these days I, I just i'm just really appreciative for any opportunities i get and i you know i wouldn't do it if i didn't like it there's a lot of better ways to make money trust me Right. Well, um, to follow that up, actually, while we're talking about this, some of your projects you just write and some you just direct. Um, how do you determine which movies you're going to direct and which ones you're not? Well, you know, I mean, about 11 years ago, this monumental thing happened to me where I had a child and, and it changed my my <laughs> motivations, should we say. Like I suddenly had to start making money. I mean, my writing partner, Simon, he's he's a born writer you know he's just he's amazing astonishingly good at writing he's got no fear of it like i have um so i sort of like sort of jumped on his bandwagon i suppose and as i met my wife and we had our first child i started to let him take more of a lead like before we would uh, we would write stuff together and i would direct it and i don't think there was anything that we wrote that i didn't direct but then as I, as I guess I got a little bit more confidence and, and our work got better known, more opportunities came our way. And then I had our first child with my wife, Elizabeth, and uh, just just the necessity of having to try and continue or to make a living really dictated the path. And we started writing bigger stuff, more sort of action stuff outside of horror, I guess, mm-hmm. and met with some pretty fortuitous success. And uh Again, one thing just led to another, and suddenly I was making most of my money out of writing and less money out of directing. I kind of stopped directing for quite a while. I just got sick of it. Um, and and writing is just a very nice life, if apart from the absolute mental torture of you know staring at a blank page in a room by yourself for twelve hours a day. But if you <laughs> if you manage it correctly, it can be a lovely lifestyle. Like often, I'll just work for you know if I if if Simon and I do four good hours work a day, then that's a good day's work and I get to spend the rest of the time with my wife and my kids and you know, I'm, I'm never going to complain about that. So, um, yeah, you're, you're very fortunate that you were like, Hey, I need to make more money. So let me just do a little bit more of what I've all, of what I'm already doing. That's pretty, uh, yeah. you're pretty fortunate in that other people are like, Oh, I gotta do, I gotta Uber, you know, right, and I, gotta, right. I gotta drive around and stuff. So you're very fortunate in that. But it wasn't just a, it wasn't really a sort of conscious decision either. It kind of just happened out of, but I also do, I mean, there's a lot of things I don't really talk about, uh, ways that I make money. I've done, I do lots of sort of corporate work and, you know, I've done a hell of a lot of music videos over the years and those always ended up becoming my bread and butter. 
because the thing with movies is a movie takes a year and it often takes much more than that to get it going so some projects i have that i've been working on for 10 years and they haven't been made yet and hopefully they will one day but we'll see but so i had to sort of learn as i went along ways to wheel and deal within the industry so someone's looking to you know put together some mind-numbingly boring you know corporate video then i'm your man you know what i mean i'll do any i'll do anything for a buck <laughs> hell yeah man hell yeah it's it's still in your path it's still in your career path it's not like you're straying that far i mean well you know, yeah and you know what that was what the you stuff gotta that, do that was the stuff that taught me the most really about filmmaking because that got me into the technical aspect of things i became like a one-man band i build a lot of my own camera rigs and that kind of stuff and i do lighting and sound and which is weird to say but i really enjoy it like i enjoy every single aspect of it i've never not enjoyed doing a job like that in some ways i enjoy it more because there's no uh, pressure particularly is no i don't find it stressful it's just uh, you know it's pretty well paid and it's fun and i always enjoy the people i meet and i get to travel around a lot and uh, but yeah i'm a bit like a gypsy if when it comes to filmmaking i just do whatever it takes to to make a living Hell yeah! Well, um, I I've liked all of the movies that I've seen from you, and I've seen about ten of them now. Um, I think that uh, I'm not I'm not just greasing your wheels because you're on my podcast here. I'm I'm just being honest. I think that you're very proficient with the camera, and I think that your filmmaking is very smooth. I, I take notes when I watch movies, and these were notes that I took. You're very smooth, and and you've done movies about. Uh, the pandemic, like Songbird and Vampires and like They Come Knocking, Sleaze and Depravity with, you know, Pig, which you disown, jokes that, that take things to the extreme, like I'm just fucking with you and like cursed serial killers like Baby Blue and more. Are there other subgenres that like you want to tackle but haven't yet? Like werewolves or something? Uh, uh, I mean, I wrote a werewolf movie uh, called Blood Moon that uh, Blumhouse made. Um, which I was going to originally direct and then it got messed up by the pandemic. So I've, I've been, I've prepped a werewolf movie and it was, it was quite hard actually because just how you should go about showing the werewolves seems so intimidating to me because there's been, you know, there's some really classic iconic werewolves out there, but there's not that many. There's, you know, there's howling American wealth in London and there may be a few smaller movies like ginger snaps or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, yes, I, I, I love all different subgenres of the movie. I mean, my, my, of the horror genre, my, my favorite horror movies tend to be the more psychological ones like The Shining or Angel Heart. Jacob's Ladder is probably my favorite movie of all time. Um, that's a good choice. But yeah, but that's not to say that I don't love the kind of, like I said, like the reanimator, the Brian Eusner, Stuart Gordon stuff. I love um, Italian zombie, zombie movies, zombie flesh eaters, oh, yeah. the beyond. I love the I, I love seventies eighties Argento movies. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else there is within the horror genre. You know, body horror stuff, the Cronenberg stuff. Um, so yeah, I, well, I, that'd I, be cool I, to see you do like a Cronenberg type of movie. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I would. Lo- I would love to. I would love to. Really, I mean, it's not like whenever I try to set out and do something, it tends to not happen. It always. It's the things. It's always the things that I d- expect not to happen that happen. Do you know what I mean? It's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's- yeah. I totally understand. That's life, my friend. <laughs> exactly. So I've learned to just go with it. Really, I'm just completely open. Like something comes my way, and like if I if it floats my boat, then I'll I'm up for it. Basically. Well, um, I just want to ask you real quickly, uh, how intentional was it to have Baby Blue look like Bill Paxton in Near Dark? Yeah, I mean, I thought when I. 
I mean, it was to answer your question, it was 100% intentional. It was basically Bill Paxton from Near Dark mixed with uh, Christian Slater from Heathers, I would say. Oh. Uh-huh. Um, That's a really good description. Yeah, but it's, it's, uh, it's funny turning, you know, I'm 48 now, so I, I sort of realized, oh, wait, you can just rip things off because this new generation haven't seen any of these movies. <laughs> And uh, I wanted to say the psychic is amazing. I love how she just nonchalantly is just like, yeah, I'm really susceptible to demon possession and just kind of like shakes it off. Like how much of that was the script and how much of that was the actor? I mean, she she uh, performed it verbatim. So it was all in the script. But she came in and I, uh, I hadn't ever seen her do it. Um, I mean, how did I? She auditioned. Did she audition? I can't remember to be honest with you, but I, I, I feel like I hadn't seen her do the part, and she just <laughs> the first time she did it, like the whole room just fell silent, you know, and then started <laughs> laughing because it was it was pretty amazing, really. I mean, she's a, she's an incredible actress. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was all scripted, but I could never have uh, hoped for anything better than what she did with it. Um, was uh, was this story at all? I was wondering what inspired the story for Baby Blue. Uh, what came to mind when I watched it was the uh, Eliza Lamb story from the Cecil Hotel. Uh, was that any influence? Because uh, the way Kelvin like shows similar behavior in a, an elevator the night before his death or the night of his death, that's what reminded. Me. I wondered. I was like, is, is, I wonder if he got his uh, motivation for the uh, from the Cecil Hotel incident. Yeah, it was. It was inspired by that. Um, I'm trying to think if there was a Netflix documentary about what happened to, I think it, I think that probably came out around around the same time. And I've been, you know, I've been down there before when we were looking for locations. Cause often I just, if I'm doing something really low budget, like baby blue, I I often try and find the locations first and then write the ideas based around what locations we can get that are kind of interesting. And, uh, Phil Rose, one of the producers, he's a good mate of mine. He, uh, he went and found this Barclay Hotel downtown, which is right next door to the Cecil. And it's the same, exactly the same vibe. Like loads of people have died there. It's really, it's legitimately terrifying there, I would say. So that's all, that's always very inspiring. But the, the story for Baby Blue didn't really come from anywhere, weirdly. It was, just, it was more a conversation I had with Bradley Pills, who was the producer of the movie, where we were just lamenting the fact that it just takes so long to get anything going these days it feels like and trying to raise like a decent budget whatever you whatever that might be is such a ball ache um and i'm just not somebody like <laughs> a ball ache i just don't like, i just don't like to sit around particularly like you know if i'm, I'm not going to sit around and do nothing i'd rather be out doing it. i mean i made baby blue for nothing you know i mean i didn't get paid one dollar and i'll never get paid a dollar for that film probably and um and that's fine because you know I, I just wanted to make something really cool and the cast were awesome and uh so we just started putting it together. So basically we wrote, Simon and I wrote, I think we wrote 40 pages of the script. So like half a film in about two days. And then we stopped and we had no idea what happened in the second half. And I went and found the actors with Brad. Brad had some great connections to these young actors. Aramis Knight introduced us to uh, all of the, the, the young guys and girls that were in it. And uh, the next week we went and filmed it for like four days, five days maybe. And then I started editing together the first half. And once I'd edited together the first half, I then, Simon and I got back together and wrote the second half. <laughs> I mean, it was the maddest way of making a film, but it was really cool. <laughs> it was really cool. So we didn't know what happened. You know what I mean? Like, 
the film was yeah. the film was a mystery to us. And then we started putting it together, and we just some bits we didn't like, so we threw it out and redid them. And then it was a very organic process. It was very fun. Yeah, and uh, the movie kind of has uh, like a meta moment where the ring is brought up. And uh, was that something that was already kind of planned with the writing, or was that just kind of something when you were writing, you're like, oh, hey, this kind of feels like the ring in some aspects? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, to me, it was just funny that there's a bunch of these young kids who've never seen the ring talking, you know what I mean? Or like the shrine. <laughs> I love the bit where they're, uh, where the psychic's talking about the shining and they're just like, what the fuck's the shining? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I did this, I did this uh, aborted movie with uh, a bunch of influencers couple of years ago and like i couldn't believe i was listening to them talk and like they literally had never heard of quentin tarantino do you know what i mean it's just it's such a mad world that we live in right oh now. my god so i mean i was just trying to have fun with that you know i mean how many movies are like the ring every fucking movie's like the ring isn't it like there's only, <laughs> it seems like there's only about three different types of horror movie these days so yeah and uh to kind of follow up on that you said this uh film is kind of like a love letter to young adult horror that seems to be kind of missing in uh recent years what kind of made you feel like you kind of want to spearhead that effort well for me it was just having children like my youngest daisy she she loves horror movies and and watching her get excited about watching them it reminds me of when i was that age like going into my teenage years and that's kind of a really inspiring thing to me and i just i there's just uh, like i said there's a whole generation now that have you know didn't grow up with the movies that we loved and when you try and watch i'm trying to think of one that i showed a recently i don't know i mean i still love serpent and the rainbow but i put it on again and it's just like oh you know it's not quite it's it's just it feels of its time right and so to, i just i just want uh you know my daughter's generation to enjoy the kind of movies that we all grew up loving so much and if that means that i have to make a couple of them they're great you know yeah and uh i do do you think that maybe the young adult audience for horror like nowadays was so much available that they kind of start out with more graphic stuff than say like we kind of did with the friday the 13th halloween nightmare on elm street and maybe they just kind of start off like more with like more hardcore stuff and they, they kind of maybe moves the goalpost on where the young adult audience is uh, you know i don't know really. it is it's uh I, I don't know, like, what, I mean, what kind of horror movies are young kids watching? I don't know, like, I mean, I guess Smile and those movies made a fortune, didn't they, Barbarian? Um, but they, they, don't, they don't seem overly extreme to me. Well, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to say that uh, there's some really, like, there's some very impressive camera work in Baby Blue. Again, I'll mention your camera work. Um, one of the notes that I took that I really liked was, I love how... Um, we bounce like the viewer we bounce back and forth between our protagonist's cameras which are shaky and amateur and then we see your direction which isn't shaky and it's incredibly smooth uh, I, I literally i saw the camera shaking and i thought i uh, must have not used a steady cam here and then like the camera switched and i'm like oh no it's smooth oh that was their perspective yeah that was like it really, it really took me back uh, what were some of the challenges of, of filming the movie that way i mean it wasn't really a challenge it was more that uh we, we sounded out how to make the movies we went along. Like when I had the first conversation with Brad, the producer, we were talking about doing a kind of a new found footage type thing because it seems to me that, you know, my kids are mostly watching YouTube. I'm sure yours are exactly the same. Um, and so we kind of thought it would be fun to do one of the movies that I grew up with and Brad grew up with 
um, and do it for the YouTube generation. So originally it was just going to be a bunch of YouTubers and uh, make, you know, uh, making a documentary or a YouTube video about this cursed, supposed cursed cell phone. And the whole movie was going to be shot found footage style. And I, you know, I have my camera rig. So I, the first day of shooting, I just put that on because I was like, well, I might as well just get some coverage just, but I don't think that I have enough resources to pull off that type of movie because I mean, the crew on baby bloom, generally speaking was, you know, it was like four of us on most days with me operating the camera and it was just as small as it can get. And, and then when we cut it together, it was, it started off being 80, 90% of the, uh, of the characters, uh, movie within a movie. But then as we went through, it's just like, Oh, actually that the other stuff is, is, uh, preferable in a lot of cases and it definitely makes the film feel um slicker like you said uh so as the film progresses you'll notice that more and more it becomes like a traditional movie and i think by the end there's hardly any of the of the gang's footage so again it was just a completely organic thing it wasn't particularly well thought out it just ended up doing what suited the story well, I, I really liked that aspect, and that stood out to me. It's one of those things that once you notice it, you can't unnotice it. I just thought it was uh, it was really well-crafted. Um, and the next thing that I wanted to say to you is that Baby Blue's family is fucking straight vile. I have to ask you, uh, how was it filming that breastfeeding scene? Was there a lot of laughs? Was it awkward? Like, I legit gagged, man, and I don't react like that to anything <laughs> I watched. And I was like, yo, this, this fucking got me. My wife's like, what are you watching? And I was like, come check this out. um well i mean i'm trying to think that i remember that that day was one of the more stressful days because it it was just we we were doing a lot of pages a day you know more than you would on on any normal movie and there were just more moving parts that that day it was more ambitious than most of the rest of the films i'm sure you can tell so by the time we got to it it was kind of like we're never going to get through this um (laughs) and i mean poor aramis the actor not not the most enjoyable thing to have, you know. I, I, don't, I don't even know what it was. Was it milk? It might have been milk, real milk. And uh, I mean, Ellen, the actress uh, who played Mama, was incredibly game and just, you know, such a wonderful person to have around. Every, everyone was lovely, um, but for me, it just there's a point where it becomes a little bit stressful when you're just you've bitten off more than you can chew. Do you know what I mean? And uh-huh. it definitely felt yeah. like one of those days. Well, um, the uh, I think I said this to you in an email that we sent uh, that I sent to you. Um, the two biggest things that I took away from Baby Blue was one that there was no romance shit, and that's in a lot of your movies. You do not make your movies about love stories. They don't always center around a boy and a girl or, or a, a gay couple or anybody. It's 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 usually family, and I really appreciate that. I was thrilled about that because everything. That's what I like about the Dark Knight and the Batman movies by Christopher Nolan is they're not love stories like everything else seems to be. And uh, the kills in Baby Blue happen organically. You know, you get your death and your blood in the movie but it's not forced and overdone it's organic and kind of happens as it needs to in the story so uh i guess like were your kids the reason that you made that conscious decision to not go like in overkill mode and show too much gore and too much of the uh uh lingering deaths yeah i think i think that's probably accurate yeah i mean since i had kids i feel further and further away from a film like devil's chair and certainly from pig you know like i would never do that now 
I don't know. I feel like maybe I have a bit of responsibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fun when you're young, and I just didn't care, to be honest with you, like what I was making, mm-hmm. what I was doing. I was just doing what I wanted, purely. Uh, what and, and yeah. So now I I wouldn't want to do anything like that. I don't think. Um, but in terms of the love story stuff, yeah, I've never thought about that. I mean, that's a smart comment to make, but you know, took me unawares because I, I I'd never really considered it, but. Then since I've since you said it, I've thought about it, and yeah, that is that is true. I think Songbird's probably the only movie I've made with like a love story aspect, and it's not something that I felt very comfortable filming, particularly. And uh, I got to ask, where did the Baby Blue song come from? <laughs> I don't know. It was me and Simon were just writing. We had for ages. We went well, not ages because we wrote it so quick, but. We could never decide if Baby Blue was the worst title of all time. (laughs) But but it kind of, I mean, originally he was supposed to be sort of like a really sort of fat, disgusting, serial killer type, older man. Um, But we started to, the more we veered away from that, the more kind of fresh it felt. But the song... No, I guess it's Freddy Krueger inspired, isn't it? it just it, we we literally wrote the this, the film without thinking about it too much. A lot of the stuff we do, we we uh, spend months and months and months on. But um, this one, it just came out and we filmed it, and that's it. You know, it, and it was a beautiful way of working. Yeah, because the lyrics, uh, "Mama's inside you," just disturb me. <laughs> I don't know what they mean, but it just bothers me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was all just done stream of conscious style. The the whole script was done that way. So, like, where it came from, I don't know. I must just be fucked up. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we want to thank you again for joining us today. And uh, do you have any upcoming projects you can talk about? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a few things uh, on the, you know, on the books. Hopefully, um, but this 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 strike is just. Uh, stalling everything um so we'll just have to see how that pans out I and mean, i've got this horror movie called the ladder that i um we're in the process of trying to make which is really cool um i think you'd like that like a really really scary horror movie um and then simon and i are just always writing you know i've got a hitman movie i want to do uh, there's, oh, nice. there's, there's a tv a really twisted tv show that we're that's looking like it's you know making waves um else do we have like we're, i mean we're, we're just always writing stuff we're, we're writing a new horror thing at the moment that's really cool um yeah i mean we always have four five six different projects on the go at any one time and then there's like everything that we've written in the last 10 years that sometimes we just get a call and something pops up you know like someone's read something and they want to do it and off you get off you go down that avenue it's that's what i love about it it's just anything can happen and it's never going to be what i'm intending to happen that's awesome. And uh, where where can people keep up with you online? I mean, I'm not online, really. Weirdly, okay. I have a website, uh, Adam. What is it? www.adamajmason.com, um, and there's a bunch of my stuff on there. Uh, but that's it, really. I'm 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 on Twitter, but I'm not like active. I'm just not a social media person. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you again for joining us today. And uh, yeah, if you need any help with uh, knowing about Wilmington, Delaware, I think we could definitely help you out with that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I would love that. Well, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure, man. Thank you. Likewise.
thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in thank you for adam mason again uh, i guess thank you for adam mason thank you to adam mason for joining us today uh yeah i think we've said it multiple times we'll say it again check it out on tubi baby blue it's yeah. free it's a good ass movie free motherfuckers watch it <laughs> anyway uh, make sure to follow us online, High on Horror 420, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, I was going to try to be, it's going to be funny and try to include like some defunct social media, but yeah. I just. Threads. Too high at this point. We didn't so, on did threads you say yet. Tourette's? No, I said threads. No, threads. I said we're not on threads I yet. I you were saying I had Tourette's. <laughs> no. <laughs> you might, though. You might. I might, yeah. Anything's possible at this point. Um, yeah, so uh, make sure to follow us on there so that way you can find out what our next episode is. Make sure to send us some puff puff ass questions at highonhorror420 at gmail.com and uh, check out our website, highonhorror.com. Uh, yeah, I'm about wrap her up. All right, see y'all next week. <laughs> <laughs>